All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the I'm a Rescue podcast. I am Tom Clark. I'm Steph Clark. And uh, we are in, uh, well, I don't know if we should say where we are. Uh, yeah, don't, why uh, do you have to share that? We are in an undisclosed location. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that cool, you guys. <laughs> it's so mysterious. Like, and I have a guard dog. That's right, yeah, a vicious beast named Hercules. Uh, we are here with uh, Camilla Cleese, a uh, very funny comedian. Well, we just worked with her, or Steph just, well, I guess I worked with her too. You were there. Yes. You got booked just for, by hanging out. That's right. Yeah, yeah we did the, uh, but Camilla's a comedian, uh, and she... Uh, An actress and writer. Yeah. And hot babe. Hot babe. Well, hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm so you glad s- they can't see me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, podcasts right. <laughs> for that yeah. reason we just saw her last week in ventura at the ventura comedy competition right where it's steph, a part of the festival part, yeah. of the festival part of the festival tom i'm sorry yeah. uh but steph and we Camilla, had to compete against each other it was yeah. cutthroat it was like hunger games they finished yeah. in the top six so they're moving on so i don't know whenever out of 127 pop. entries <laughs> really <laughs> no oh. <laughs> there were or, i think 12 <laughs> no there were 15 or something you just show up and that's yeah, yeah. um but uh camilla um yeah we, we met i don't know when we first when, met when i guess we, uh, santa barbara santa barbara quite a while ago, ago when i think we new year's headlining eve headlining or something santa but yeah did you guys meet before that i think maybe but i i remember thinking that you guys looked familiar but like it was you know you passing so ships many comics right. yeah and uh so especially so many white dudes. But <laughs> so many white dudes. I apologize. Too many, to be honest. Um, but we had a fun New Year. That was a really fun couple of shows up there. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was really incredible. Awesome. That I can't believe theater. you sold it out on New Year's Eve, like for two shows. Santa yeah. Barbara's notoriously the most difficult place in the country to sell tickets. Isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah, like, it's so it beautiful. Blows my Our mind. tour manager, my dad's tour manager, says that like he has trouble selling out there. So I was like, wow, this is really great. Right. So we should probably mention that uh, Camilla's dad is John Cleese of Monty Python fame. And Pink Panther, too. And Pink <laughs> <laughs> re- That's how I intro him when I bring him on stage. Yeah. I, like, look at his IMDb and find the most obscure and, like, bad credits I can. Like, he guest starred on Whitney. Or, like, <laughs> <laughs> Does he get a kick out of that? The audience, it gets a huge laugh because right. they all know, like, that I'm just being a dick. And they, at that point, usually have figured out we're related, which is why I'm being a dick. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole reason he takes me to interview him because... The first few interviewers were so respectful; it was like boring. Right. You know, it's and like you're the daughter, so you can. If you, if act you're too you reverential, want. like I take audience questions on note cards and I go through and I pick which ones to ask, and I'll, I'll I have no shame. Like I'll ask whatever I want, and then I will make fun of him throughout the interview and get <laughs> things thrown at me and like. Oh was uh, Are people mean like after like how can you talk to? Him? John. No, because he's so mean to me that, like, there's no... But they are on his side. It's funny. Like, if I say anything to retaliate, like, I can't defend myself. Even if it's witty and funny, it's, it gets a, ooh, you know, whereas no matter... He has a whole thing about, like, don't have children. They're responsible for all the misery in the world and all this stuff. And, I, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm right here. Like I'm literally <laughs> sitting there and I just have to take it. And I'm like, but who else would you underpay to go on the road with you? Like, <laughs> how many on a bus. You guys roast each how other. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Oh, or? Who knows? Um, <laughs> no, I have like, I think last count was like 12 half step and X step. 
Wow. Sounds like an aerobics class. I know. Ha- half, <laughs> half step and X step. Like, half step. Like line dancing. Now X step. <laughs> Box step. Box and step. X step and two step. Right. Um, but no other uh, siblings within that. I have a half sister through my dad who lives here in Brentwood. Um, and then I have two stepbrothers who I grew up with. I mean, there were always other kids in the house. Right. It just was sort of a revolving door with various marriages and whatnot. Um, and then on my mom's side, I, I got really lucky. I have three great stepsisters um, and my stepdad. Uh, but now he's remarried. So I don't know like what, <laughs> how, like what do I call that family? Yeah. Have my you ever done like away. a, I should probably say that rather than like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, Sorry, she was sick for way too long, and yeah. she passed away in glorious fashion. Um, I, sorry, this <laughs> this sounds so terrible, but like she had a really dark sense of humor, almost like darker than my dad's, which is kind of crazy. Um, and she didn't approve of his fourth marriage, and she managed to outlive how long they'd given her. Like they gave a pretty precise window because they were taking her off life support. It was like 10 to 14 days or something. And she lived 17 days and died on their wedding anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> we talked like, about that. Yeah, yeah. it's like an epic way to ruin someone's wedding right, anniversary. Right. Like, yeah. Wow. I know she's up there. Like, gotcha. You'll always remember me. <laughs> yeah. You'll never forget um, me. Because I, I, you ended up in, so, so sort of run through, where were you? Were you born out here in California? Oh, no. It, that's sort of an essay question, but the, <laughs> the short version, um, I grew born and raised in London. Okay. I moved here when I was like 12 or 13, first Southern Illinois, then Chicago, suburbs of Chicago. Um, oh, because we talked about that. Yeah, because we have a cousin who, yeah. who knows yeah. Maggie. Oh, that's right. It's yeah. such a small world. It's right. Crazy. I think she's friends with one of my stepsisters that I was saying is so great on that side of the family. Right. Um, what suburb, in, what suburb in Chicago? Lake Bluff, but it's really like part of Lake Forest. It's just like oh, yeah. the hood right. of Lake Forest. The hood of Lake Forest. It. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like saying, um, you know, Hollywood is the hood of West Hollywood. Like, it's not yeah. like that different, you know. Right. Um, Sorry, Hercules guard is guarding. Is, yeah. Yeah, Hercules. He's, oh, he's okay. throwing around she, his seven and a half pounds of weight. So you lived <laughs> yeah. in London. So you, since you, you oh. went and moved when you were 12. Am I on the... No. What? You weren't on the mic. Well, you have to edit that out now. <laughs> yeah, so technical difficulties. You don't have an ac- did you have an accent? I did. I had a really thick... I was like... <laughs> apparently, I came home from school the first day, and I said to my mom, Mommy, there's not enough rules. Because, <laughs> like, I... The school I went to was so strict. It was like the sister school to where the princes went and they taught like etiquette and sewing. And it was like basically training you to be a housewife, uh, which you guys know me. Like you can imagine how well that would have worked out. <laughs> um, but like we couldn't even talk during lunch or recess. Everything was organized. It was oh, so wow. strict. And then to go from that to like this artsy fartsy like some some of the teachers we called by their first names and there was no dress code like I didn't know how to dress like I'd always worn a uniform I didn't I'd never talked to a boy like it was it was an adjustment for sure but I started to pick up an American accent I think just you know they say to fit in like you naturally 
pick things up, but then I realized how much it irritated my dad, so I kind of ran with it. <laughs> so is that like what is your natural? Act? It's now like this, yeah. but like I can turn on Brit when I need to sound smart. <laughs> but I live in LA, so it's right. not very often. That's crazy. <laughs> and then you, uh, so then you spent part of your high school years in, in junior sh- high in Chicago, and uh, high school in. Well, the first part in Lake Forest, uh, and then I moved to Santa Barbara. My dad was moving there, so I went to go live with him. I think my mom had had enough, which is a very reasonable statement. Uh, I was a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> what, how were you rebellious? Just Oh, God. I Well, I think part of it, we'd moved around so much, and I like had always been picked on and didn't fit in and then I sort of got a chance to reinvent myself going into high school because we moved again in my freshman year and I became best friends I was sort of the the funny sidekick to like the most popular hot girl in school and like part of being popular in high school was like partying and whatever and I was sort of the class clown but I was always like playing practical jokes that would just go so wrong like in so many different ways and um, it was never anything with, like, bad intent, you know? It just was stuff, like, we had a class canoe trip, and, like, my best friend and I were in a canoe together, and we both refused to paddle, so there wasn't much current. And <laughs> we're, like, an hour and a half behind everyone else was <laughs> lying out in the canoe. And then we stopped and met some fishermen and had a beer, and then, like, <laughs> and... Uh, this was high school? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, then we found a guy on a jet ski and we're like, do you have a tow rope? And he was like, yeah. So we tied the canoe to the back of his jet ski and like they'd already loaded up the buses and they were waiting for us. Like they weren't <laughs> concerned because it was us. Like they knew that we were just being dicks. But like we pulled up and we're, we're both sitting in the canoe <laughs> getting towed and we were like <laughs> just doing <laughs> just the royal the- wave as we pulled in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like stuff like that. And I'd get suspended. Oh. Um, because it was always usually my idea. <laughs> you had fun, whatever. Yeah. Then they didn't have a sense of humor. I mean, there was that time that I lit the dorm on fire by accident, but like that. <laughs> it was an accident. We all have our little arson stage. I, yeah. yeah. I had, well, I had to smoke a cigarette somewhere and I couldn't go outside during study hall. So it was the bathroom robust. <laughs> right. Was that a big change going from England to the suburbs of Illinois? Was, was that Well, we went to Southern Illinois first, which oh, was yeah, like yeah. mad culture shock. Cause mm-hmm. that's like, yeah. it was like population 2000 and like 1,800 had the same last name. <laughs> you know, right. it was like, what city? Uh, it was called Elkhart, Illinois. It's like, 45 minutes outside of Springfield. I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Is that near Champaign? It's not too far, but like it's, it's way it's south, way because that's how it felt when we were in Champaign, Illinois. That it just felt very southern. Yeah, yeah it, it does feel very like redneck compared kinda. to Chicago area. Yeah. yeah, I mean, going from London to that was like I think my parents were trying to fuck with me. Like that's just like a different planet, right? Um, wow. And this isn't your dad didn't. No, this no. Is, my mom was gonna get remarried to this guy, and then like it fell apart very quickly, and we moved to Chicago. So and you were like 12 or 13 God. when you moved to the, that part I guess of I Illinois? Like a le- Gosh. But I, it's such a it's hard to say, age, right? Oh like, my God. Like I mean, is there ever not for me? I don't know. <laughs> 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 like, I think, yeah, it's a hard age to yeah. move for sure because, I mean, I'd switch schools a bunch of times in London so I was kind of used to it but like, moving across 
to a different country when I was always close with my dad too and like he it's like oh you're going to your dad's for the weekend and like you have to get on a plane unaccompanied which back then they didn't have like DVD players built into the seats <laughs> right. like it was like I don't even think just there was staring. Game Boy. yeah you're just it like alone like, with your I was thoughts. just like yeah and my <laughs> thoughts have never been good to be alone with you know <laughs> just like they haven't gotten much better but like at least now I have my phone and you know whatever but it would feel like the longest nine hours of ever and I'd go back for the summers I guess I was younger I must have been 10 or 11 but I'd go back for three months in the summer to see my dad. And then, of course, he'd be, like, working in the U.S. most of the time. But, like, it, you know, he's always just worked and worked and worked. Um, or would be filming something and I'd be an extra in, like, every scene. Oh, wow. And not get paid. Like, you, I didn't know that I could have got paid. <laughs> like, I was too young. Anything was, we like, can spot you, know. you in? Like, if we were to watch a movie? Um, I think Fierce Creatures, which was... It wasn't like a sequel to A Fish Called Wanda. It was weird. I don't know if you ever heard of this one. I remember A Fish Called Wanda. It was like the same cast, but they all played like different people. And it was a different story. It was set around a zoo. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of cool because I got to hang out at a zoo all summer. Right. But like I'm in the background of like 80% of the scenes in different (laughs) (laughs) albums. But I'll never forget. The director once said to me like we were filming a scene where like my dad was on a bridge with Jamie Lee Curtis who was like jogging in her underwear and uh, they were having a conversation and I was supposed to just walk past them on the bridge and the director was like we already got what we need so this take just as a practical joke like just walk up to your dad and ask for his autograph and I'm like (laughs) I I knew this was not a good idea I was like are you sure because like he takes his work and so I did it and he lost his shit like he was like you just ruined the take and the director's like cut we're not really filming that it was so <laughs> uncomfortable and, <laughs> and he's I like oh good one, go like good that, one. i love he set you up to like yeah i think they actually got a different director not because of that but oh like, my god it, it was it was one of those things where i was like if you think my dad's gonna think that's funny like i knew it was a bad idea but it's the director you don't argue with the director especially when you're not even like technically a part of the cast <laughs> like right. was, i would love that if there, if there was like a cut of that yeah was, was your dad pushing for you no. to get into acting no, or not anything at all. Not at i mean all. i i think trying to get me to veer away if anything oh um, really well, my sister was acting, all right, she's 13 years older, so she was in A Fish Called Wanda, if you remember at all, she actually played his daughter, um, oh. and she's like, I need another horse, daddy, he's not fit for dog meat, which is not a stretch for either of us. <laughs> <'cause they laughs> horses, That's a normal but, line, you say. Um, yeah. And then she was in Fierce Creatures as well, she's a very good actress, but uh, I was, I used to be smart, like, books I'm, I'm very good at like certain things and very bad like I have some learning issues but like when it comes to like math weirdly I was really good with numbers and stuff and I think he thought I was going to be some sort of prodigy which is hilarious like because <laughs> I hated school but like they skipped me two grades and I did like what, what uh, grades did you skip well so England is technically like a year ahead of the U.S. up until a certain point, like in the the lower grades. Um, and then, but they skipped me a grade in the U.K. before I moved to the U.S. So then by the time I got to the U.S., I was two years young for my grade, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone because like 
just socially I mean it's a hard enough adjustment but then I was also like six foot so I mean not quite at that age but right. I was tall enough where no one knew I was two years younger and like being 12 going into high school is a little weird oh um, that's what oh that's what happened yeah that's crazy was it a private school yeah in Illinois um it was uh a place called Park well the junior high was Parker um and then I went to Lake Forest. <laughs> so then it, so then you ended up in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, so my dad w- had bought a place there and decided he was going to move out there when I was about, I think it was 14 and um, or 15 for my junior year. And at that point, I was riding horses competitively at a top level. And there was a trainer out here who was notoriously one of the best. She was like kind of a drill sergeant. But um, she's based in... Uh, well, I think she's retired now, but in Moore Park or like Thousand Oaks. Oh, okay, cool. And <clears throat> off Tierra Rahada. I don't know if you guys know the 23, yeah, but know. I spent many hours of my life on traffic, <laughs> in traffic on that street. Um, so I, I was going to train with her. So I was homeschooled that year. And then I got kind of even more ahead. And then I did my last like semester at a private school in Santa Barbara that allowed me to miss 65 days. <laughs> 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 like was... I mean, I had the excuse that I was riding horses, but like by that point, I was just not going to school, basically. Um, But I still like again, I'm book smart. Like I can read a textbook and take a test on it and get like a B plus Mm -hmm. and forget everything the next day. Like that's kind of my jam. Um, (laughs) So I graduated young and I was I took three years off. It was supposed to be one, but I kept pushing it because I. I was young anyway, and in in the UK and Europe, it's very common to take a year off. They call it a gap year after after high school, and you like go do something different. Like a lot of people go, you know, help underprivileged kids. I just went and acted like an underprivileged kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a overprivileged kid. Um, no, I just I was riding professionally and. Um, that one year turned into three and then my dad was like, oh, I wasn't kidding about you going to university. Yeah. Were um, you doing, so equestrian type stuff? Yeah, show jumping. Uh-huh. Um, there's a picture right over there, I think. There's a bunch oh, of Oh yeah, I think, yeah, I um, see it. So that's, uh, and, and that's wow. not easy, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine. No, jump- I mean, it's not cheap. It's not easy. It's, it's not safe. Uh, no, that's how but Christopher. But it's a great way to yeah. like never see your kids and potentially kill them if you, <laughs> if you can afford it. That's a good Dateline um, episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that should be a Dateline. Yeah. It, it not? To, I know, right? I mean, to put it in perspective too, it, that's a crazy world to grow up in because look, I know I grew up super lucky. I'm, I was very fortunate in, in many regards, but like we were like the poverty line in that sport. Like it's like the you know all the heiresses and like my best friends when I was doing it were like the you know Johnson and Johnson heiresses and the Bloombergs and the like these crazy right um, what's it like to be in that world are people are people mean or it's like a it's interesting it's a real combination and I feel like people I think it's the same as kids of celebrities from my experience when I've met them like you go one of two ways you're either like very humbled by it because you're hyper aware that like you didn't do anything to earn this which is always how I felt like I kind of didn't deserve it and like I I wasn't totally comfortable with it or you go the other way which is like 
super entitled and kind of like bratty about it and like conceited whatever but I think people most people are expecting you to be more that way like there's a lot of preconceived notions and rightfully so I mean there are a lot of shitty offspring of celebrities but like like let's name some of them (laughs) 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 um I'll let I'll let the the audience (laughs) figure it out I mean I think most of them I, some of them are just public figures now. And sure, you can tell, yeah. of course, but like the Kardashians, just yeah, say it. Yeah, there you go. I no, no one's gonna have trouble with me saying that. Right. I, yeah. I don't think we're our fans are Kardashian people. No, I, hope I would not. hope not. Yeah. Right. right. What'd you name your horse? Oh, I had like we kind of had a sales business. Like we'd bring in horses from Europe and train them and sell because it's so expensive. That's one way to sort of subsidize, I guess. But right. like, I um. I'm really good at naming farm animals. I don't know if I ever told you guys that. You're an expert. No, I'm like, I mean, I wish there was more demand for it. I'd be a fucking superstar. But What's I lived on a farm and my dad loves animals. Like mm-hmm. he bought this ranch just because he loves animals. So we had like a menagerie. I mean, we had an emu. His name was Gwyneth Paltrow. Sure. Because my dad thinks she looks like an emu. He named her <laughs> him. Sorry, him. Uh, we thought it was a girl, and then it wasn't. Um, and then, like, we had three alpacas who I named Green Bay Paca. Ah, <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm a oh. Packers fan, so I love that. Oh, nice. Green Bay Paca. Over Paca. Over Paca. And Fudge. <laughs> fudge Paca. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> he was gay. Uh, <laughs> and then... The llamas were uh, Dalai Lama, nice. which is kind of obvious, I know. But uh, and Komote Lama, which is the best llama name ever. Right. I think. What's your name in <laughs> because Spanish? Because the guys yeah. that worked for us didn't speak great English, and it was hilarious how confusing it got. But I named one of my horses Naked, just so that, like, when they would announce me at horse shows, it would be Camilla Cleese riding Naked, and everyone would like. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and that I could say to the guys that worked. I'd be like, hey, could you go get naked for me, please? And they'd like <laughs> totally like, oh, I'm like, no, 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 el caballo. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're already but, un- undressing, right? Yeah, uh, we That's had a good. guinea pig named Misogyny. Misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> like, there were so many, you're but so, you're always been such a good writer. So oh, thank you. I think those animals. are just bad puns, but yeah. <laughs> I love well, you- Hercules, the dog right here. My dad and I always used to joke that I should have a dog named Hercules because it's such a bad uh, play on words. And when I saw that was already his name, when they were trying to find someone to adopt him, I was like, oh, that's a sign. Totally. Was that so was that a big part of your because I mean, those are all I wouldn't think to Komote Lama. I wouldn't think that. So was that something you and your dad sort of bonded on was sort of yeah. that joking silliness oh for of... sure i mean our relationship is based upon like we show affection by teasing each other like mercilessly to mm-hmm. the point of like you know if you make someone cry that's like your ultimate <laughs> profession of love basically it's a real healthy oh the whole family's like that but um so you're ball busting each other yeah yeah like teasing each other but you know the whole family was in on it and it like when you're the youngest by 10 years, like <laughs> I'm the easy target <laughs> because I'm just, I was still working on my wit for a long time. <laughs> like, um, I probably got the brunt of it, but, but uh, forces you to up your game. Right. I mean, if you're getting oh, the brunt yeah, of it, you're like, sure. I gotta pick it up. I didn't even realize like what a sort of inadvertent education I got in comedy, like without 
you know, just from being around it. It's like right. by osmosis because when my when I was little, my dad would be writing scripts with people, and I would just sit in and listen because it was it was funny. You know, they're just talking, of, and then I would like throw out ideas, and half the time they'd probably just like be like, "Shut up, Camilla!" You know, but well, what a like, cool, like who was he writing scripts with? Like, any um, well, Wanda was he wrote. Mostly, I think, himself, but Charlie Crichton, who was the director, who's since passed away. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, but I actually love the story of how that's how they came up with the Fish Called Wanda premise, because it's so random. Like, um, <laughs> they got together. They're like, we want to do a movie together. We want to write a movie. And they're like, all right, what do you want it to be about? And... I think it was my dad was like, well, I want there to be a scene where there's a guy with a stutter who they're trying to torture for information. <laughs> and Charlie was like, well, I want to run someone over with a steamroller. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. <laughs> That's like how they came up with A Fish Called Wanda. Wow. Um, which those are probably two of my favorite scenes. But it, it is funny like that that was the, the building blocks. That And that was sort of like after Monty Python yeah. had... Faulty Towers. Yeah. Was after so this that. this was sort of his what uh, year was comeback. This? this was like, well, they were writing it. I think it came out in uh, eighty eight or eighty nine, maybe. So I was really little. I was like four or five years old. I mean, my earliest memories are like him being dangled out a window on set and being like pissed, <laughs> like right. getting escorted off, and yeah, um, but. I was super young then. And then he wrote a few scripts that, like, they no haven't got made, but they got bought, you know, things right. that are sitting on shelves. Right. Like, he wrote a uh, Roald Dahl. Do you know Roald Dahl, the children's author? Like, oh, Ma yeah, yeah, Matilda. Yeah. And, oh, okay, yeah. Um, right. oh, I forget some of them, but uh, an adaptation of one called The Twits, which was my favorite. And they actually let me contribute ideas. At that point, I was in high school, but it was like these this older couple that had a bunch of animals that used to play practical jokes on each other so it was like right in my wheelhouse because of my dad and all our animals um at, no. but i never thought i'd go into comedy i thought i was going to ride professionally forever so you're right you're doing the equestrian thing and so and what took you toward comedy or um well the first time i my dad asked, well, I was in university and I was kind of like just biding time. I didn't know what I wanted to study and I kept switching majors and I was kind of depressed because I hadn't, uh, I, I tried to keep riding for a while, but it just was impossible time-wise to do both. And I was partying a lot and getting in trouble and my dad asked if I wanted to help him write this one-man show, which I think we both thought meant type and make coffee because he can't do those things. <laughs> um, but I wound up contributing more than I think either of us anticipated, and he was touring in New Zealand, and I was like, I want to go to New Zealand, so I wrote my way into the show. And then I also wrote my best friend into the show, and apart for a hot guy. Like, it was very calculated on my <laughs> part. Uh, and we toured... Um, New Zealand for like four months or something like that and did this show and it all went well and that's kind of when I got the bug for it but then I, I went back to university for a bit and then my mom got sick and I went to go look after her and I was going to go back to university but I kept like it just felt like more natural 
I don't know, they don't have comedy classes, you know, they don't teach it as a major in university. Right. And I felt like I wasn't learning anything. I mean, I think university is great. Like if you know what you want to study and if you're going to be a doctor and you have to have the base of knowledge, but like eventually I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I just sort of started working with my dad and learning from him, which is a pretty great personal tutor. Um, What'd you find with your dad? Did you find that he was just sort of like, it was just sort of these ideas would, like you said about the, I want to do a scene where uh, a guy has a stutter and he's getting tortured. was that like, it was it sort of his spontaneity or would he like sit down and uh, he's an incredibly disciplined like he's kind of a workaholic but at the same time it's interesting when we write together we write incredibly quickly generally um and we don't work that many hours we'll do like you know two hours in the morning and then break for an hour or two and then like two or three hours in the afternoon but we would work insanely fast because he has a he studied a lot he's very academic and reads mm-hmm. a ton about like how the brain works and all that kind of stuff and your subconscious and like your subconscious keeps thinking about things like those problems when you take breaks like that so sometimes it's better to do that than to try and power through like if you take a couple hours off and it's interesting like half the time if we'd run into a roadblock like in the morning by the afternoon we'd come back and we'd have like solutions without ever having consciously thought about it so it's Does, is that now how you write your stand-up um, scripts yeah, I mean, it's different when you're working alone a little bit because I think the nice thing about the rapport I had with my dad, like, I didn't appreciate how well we worked together until I started trying to write with other partners, <laughs> you know? But, right. like, we do think fairly similarly. Um, like, obviously, on the whole, I'm going to defer to him. Like, but it was interesting. We actually adapted A Fish Called Wanda for the stage as a as a Broadway musical. This is the first project I ever worked on, by the way, like, 10 years ago and we're just now starting it again <laughs> oh wow but it got shelved for a while because i think they wanted to make it into a tv show which my dad and i are like that's a terrible idea but <laughs> it didn't go so now we're able to well i would think a broadway production would be great because yeah. all the fans that's the, yeah. the, the yeah, people on it's, yeah. it also adapts really nicely for the stage because it's kind of an intimate story but like it's it's got some farcical elements to it and like um it i mean if you think about neither of us are big musical people generally but like a stuttering song is hilarious or like are you gonna be in it no i can't sing plus there's only like one female role because you know it was in the 80s (laughs) 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 or uh, there's a few but um but it's uh, you know i'm not a a Broadway person, but it's been a really fun thing to adapt. Um, but it was interesting writing that cause that he got nominated for an Oscar for that screenplay. Right. So right. Like, I remember hearing about that movie when I was a kid. Yeah. So probably the same, like r- roughly We're the, the same, same age, age, I think ish. I'm 35. Yeah. I'll be 34. Yeah. So I remember that movie. Yeah. It was a big no, it was deal. Huge, yeah. it, it, it was, and it people was were excited huge. because it was like the, like a Monty Python thing coming back right, and, and yeah. people always talked about a reunion and when would it happen? And this was sort of the closest. Well, and here's something that always gives me hope. Apparently they took it out, I think to 13 studios and 12 of them said no. Wow. Which is amazing to think about. Like it just goes to show executives. have No, no vision. Like, no. Yeah. And, and so much of my dad's stuff was like that. Like there's actually a note that circulated. And these are the things that I try to keep in mind when I'm getting rejected every five minutes. Like 
there there's a note from a BBC executive having seen the pilot from um, Faulty Towers, which says something like, you know, the, I'm afraid this is as dire as its title. The characters are cliche. The plot's a disaster. Um, you know, this I can't see this being anything but a giant flunk, basically. And then it was <laughs> <laughs> it's been voted one of the number one sitcoms right. of all time, like multiple uh on multiple c- occasions. So it just goes to show, you know, it's all so subjective. Um Right. You can't knows you gotta believe doing. in it yourself. Yeah, yeah, you do. Oh, and then they've tried to remake it three times for American T V and I love this. Like they have you ever seen Faulty Towers? Yeah, yeah, I've uh, like seen a few of the like clips on yeah, t- online. Uh, so, it centers around my dad's character, who's like a neurotic hotel owner, and it all takes place in this hotel. And basically, his mo is like, I could run this place wonderfully if it weren't for the guests. <laughs> you know, <so> he's like <laughs> just a horrible person. And in one of the American remakes, they wrote Basil Fawlty, the main character, out. Oh my gosh. Like wow. they were such the epic character. failures, all the remakes, and it was like my dad would offer his help, and they'd say, "No, no, we got, we know what we're doing," and then it would just, yeah. Anyway, but that's. Uh, but, so so you were helping your dad, and then you were in university. How did you get going towards stand up? Oh, you started. Did you start at like pretty much acting and modeling? Well, I I was modeling, but that never forayed into acting. Like. I, in the 2008 crash like my agency let half of its people go basically and I was one of them and I never it was one of those things I never really pursued like it was more just I was built like a string bean and six foot tall and like I kind of fell into it Mm -hmm. Um, and it was much better money than anything else I was qualified to do at that point in my life so well we sort of skipped over the whole like oh I got really into drugs and fucked up and arrested a bunch of times and then got sober (laughs) that that was a chapter in there somewhere was that um during college or after college or when you that was like uh I think not too long after that first New Zealand tour um when we came back and I went back to university I just was like it's hard to go from doing something like riding where I was six and a half days a week from 4 a.m. to like 7 p.m. I was on a horse, which mm-hmm. you kept you out of a bar. You know? right? Yeah. Like to suddenly I'm taking 12 credits where they don't take attendance in the classes, which in my brain is like, why would I go? Like, right. Right. There's no point. Um, so I was partying too much and I was, I'd had some trauma stuff I hadn't dealt with and I was kind of just numbing, I think more than anything. And then I, my mom had been sick and I was going back and forth looking after her and went and was a ski bum. I just got a little lost for a while. Um, and you know, when you're trying to like not think or feel and partying that hard, you wind up putting yourself in more jeopardizing situations and then fucked up things happen. And then you want to party more to deal with that. And it's like this, this snowball of a vicious cycle thing where, and, um, you know, I, in a way I'm grateful all that happened because it got me to where I am now. And like, I'm, I'm happy with who I am today. And it, it definitely like taught me a lot about the world, uh, living in towns like Santa Barbara where they don't have real crime. Uh, you kind of have a target on your back, especially if you have a famous dad. So 
I wound up getting in a fair amount of legal trouble and that was sort of a kick in the ass. I was like, I, what am I doing? Like I went from being a top student, an athlete to like just. <laughs> so so you, when you, you got arrested, was it like DUI or? Which time? <laughs> <laughs> there were a few, quite, quite a handful yeah. of, uh, I mean, the last one was for for cocaine, and it was a lot of cocaine. And it, um, like, I'd, it, the irony, I'd gotten it for someone else for, like, a shotgun wedding bachelor party kind of thing, and, like, uh, like I nice hadn't even done any of it. And I, I remember saying that to the cops. I was, like, pissed I hadn't been able to do any of it before <laughs> I got arrested, basically. But I was, I was drunk, um... And oh, and they found it in the car after you got pulled over? No, well, so this whole wedding, it was weird. It was like friends of mine from Chicago that happened to be getting married in Santa Barbara, and they were staying at this hotel in Santa Barbara, um, and the bachelor party was kind of the night before, basically, after the rehearsal dinner. and um, Which is not I, a good idea. No, right. not at all. <laughs> I don't even know if the groom was like really part of it. I think the groomsmen just all wanted to go party and I knew them all from high school and uh, I was local so they'd asked me to get some blow and I did and I'd given them a, a key to my hotel room and they'd all gone up there and been partying and then I went up to go find them and like they must have just walked out when I walked in but I walked in and there's like blow everywhere and a cop walked in behind me probably because oh a noise gosh. complaint or something I, it, the irony is that they'd left the window open or like the blinds open and it was one of their mothers that called the police. Oh my God. Jeez. I found out years later, but um, I was the only one that went down. I wasn't going to like name names, but in retrospect, it's, you know, it's a blessing in disguise. Cause like it, that's the reason I got sober because I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And at the time I was dating the district attorney, which is oh, just like, well, one of the deputy DAs and I remember in my genius thinking being like well maybe he won't find out and like it's such a small town that like <laughs> like <laughs> I knew all the other deputy DAs because like we bowled together <laughs> so like, like you are from find Illinois. Out you like this double life like at that time huh? so weird well I was also staying in the hotel even before I knew this part the wedding party was coming because I had a stalker that was like breaking into my it was a crazy time like it was just bizarre um i just think of that poor housekeeping staff that's got to clean up all that cocaine they're like <laughs> oh, you know what's funny is i i worked in a housekeeping at a hotel once and it was like during the horse show season like one year i only had one horse and normally i had like 11 that i was working with so i did an internship at the La Quinta Resort and Spa in um, oh, yeah. Palm Springs. Right. And it was supposed to be a hotel management internship, but they were short-staffed in the housekeeping department, which was hilarious because, like, the uniforms were not made for people like me. Like, they, the pants <laughs> were, like, so tapered and short that they, like, cut circulation off mid-calf because right. I'm six foot one. They can't see me, I realize now. Um, <laughs> but... It was funny because half the horse show was staying there, so I could like go through their shit and like <laughs> steal <laughs> their weed. And like, what are they gonna do? Call and complain? It's before it was like legal, you right. know. Like, oh, someone in housekeeping took my drugs. Like, right. um, and I will say that is the worst job I've ever. Like, uh, I'd rather 
shovel horse shit any day of the week than clean up after humans. Oh, people are I did that. So I, I used to work with disabled people and they and we one of our jobs was working at a hotel so we were like the housekeeping staff we'd get assigned seven rooms and yeah it's the most disgusting people job are and disgusting. and it's such Especially an ex- like someone's cleaning up after them yeah. yeah and it's such an exacting task like the toilet paper has to be folded into a triangle which and, why yeah I'd, i mean yeah. to point what direction <laughs> it has to go like it just doesn't pull down and up your butt there yeah. you go and it's funny i still have to fold my towels a certain way and like right. i have these little things when I you know it's it's a brutal job it is it's a, a lot of work especially when it's like a hundred degrees in Palm Springs like right ugh. it was it was brutal tip your housekeepers folks yeah tip I your... ever since then I always leave oh I should money. I never do yeah, it it's a tough job but I'm not like being as disgusting as these people I just know that like the most disgusting people never tip too like, right they're right just awful um so yeah that was that was a so were you did you realize like hey i need to change or did your dad or did somebody say to you like well, look what I are mean, you gonna do at that do? point it was like i was court ordered to i basically had two choices it was like go to inpatient and get sober or go to jail and i was very fortunate that the judge was kind of like look you can i'm gonna give you a chance to go and get your life together and I wasn't really sure I wanted to be sober at that point because I think the underlying issues of why I was partying that much, like I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to to deal with that. But also I was, I was like 22, 23, like I didn't want to be done. Although I had, I did feel like I'd done pretty much like every party I needed to do. Like there was nothing I'd really like felt like I was missing out on. Um, but I remember thinking when I went in there, I was like, you know, if, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to make the most of it. Like I'm going to get whatever I can out of it and like really throwing myself into all the work that they gave us. And like the place that I went, um, this is the rehab facility. Yeah. Okay. And this was not the first time I'd, I'd gone, but like the earlier times was just like, you know, I have rich white parents and like, if I'd get in trouble, they just didn't want to they'd be like go off here and let someone else fix it this was like the first time you're gonna take it seriously Seriously. this was the first time that I was like I'm not happy I can't keep going like this or I'm gonna either die or go to prison and it literally had come down to that like and that's kind of terrifying to watch your life just crumble like um so I, I really put the work in and I'm like I'm gonna at least do six months sober and then like at the end of that I can I can always go back there's always bars you know right. oh can I, can I ask something about the did you get to go to the wedding after all this after no I out? actually wasn't uh I wasn't even invited just because it was my friend's older brother's wedding oh, so okay. like she was there and I knew everyone but like I wasn't that close with her brother okay. or anything and it wasn't a huge wedding it was a destination wedding for them I just happened to I happened to be staying at the hotel too, which was right. Kind of crazy. I just think that would be an awkward wedding when somebody's mother calls. Oh, I got, cops. I literally <laughs> got handcuffed as the rehearsal dinner was getting like letting out. Like, right. I was like, like half the parents of kids I grew up with, like, and apparently I was fighting. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was bad. I read the police report years later because of like you were fighting my ex the trying DA. to like they pulled it up. It's hilarious, but it's not like it's hilarious in retrospect. But I'm like, God, what was I doing? Like, right. like you're fighting the cops from yeah. Handcuffing well, the you? female cops are supposed to like if they have them, they're supposed to be the ones 
uh, but they were tiny. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> you so like to challenge. were having trouble wrangling all my limbs and like uh, it inspired <laughs> your fire firefighter. Yeah, joke. exactly. <laughs> What's the firefighter joke? Like how you wouldn't want a female firefighter. I, well, I, I talk about I think how important equal pay is. I think right. but like there are certain jobs that I think are better suited for one sex or the other. Generally speaking, and oh, like, yeah, yeah. you know, if I'm trapped in my fifth floor apartment and the building's on fire and I see the firefighter coming up the ladder to save me as a chick, like gonna be fucking disappointed (laughs) i'm huge what's she gonna do keep me company like hold my hand while we both burn to death maybe sing kumbaya but then i'm like there is a reason i started this fire okay like i want (laughs) i want joe manganello to come up like and you know i love that joke that's one of my favorite bits because it makes people tense when you say stuff like that like oh i don't think women should be fired but like i am six foot one how is a chick and like if it's you know, China, well, I realize she's, all right, like a Williams <laughs> sister, someone that could actually carry me, great. But like, otherwise, what are they going to do, you know? But I love how uncomfortable people get and then you can break the tension. Right. Being like, right. I started this fire for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a great joke. Is right. it, And uh, so you're you're going through rehab, you're, you're doing the stuff this time. Yeah. And, and I think at the end of six months, it's like, I started to feel like, wow, like maybe I'm not a depressed person. I mean, I am a little bit, obviously I'm a comic, but like (laughs) I, um, like it having done the work and starting to feel better about things like it, I started drinking and doing drugs like so young that I think you don't realize how much alcohol and stuff affects you. Like it takes like 90 days to fully get out of your system if you're drinking heavily, you know? Wow. So suddenly I was starting to feel like good again. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to do that anymore. And like, I, it appealed less and less. Um, and the last time I got arrested, I remember sitting in the jail cell and being like, I have to remember like every, um, sense, like sensory memory as well as like, I just kept repeating in my head, like you have to like forge a connection in your brain that this is what happens when you drink like this is where you end up because I was like coming down and I'm like sick and I I smashed my head against something and I'm bleeding and my shirt's torn off and I'm like this is fucking pathetic like this is disgusting you don't ever want to be here was that before was that the before the coke thing happened no this was after after. I managed to get another DUI after the coke (laughs) thing which was like and it was the irony was I had moved back to Chicago. Um, I had some health problems and like I went back to my mom's and I I wasn't really doing drugs anymore, but like I was still drinking bad. And but I'd taken I was staying with a friend and and I was we were in like she was going to Northwestern. So we were staying at her dorm and I'd parked and we'd taken a taxi to the bar, taken a taxi home. I realize I'm parked in a no, no, like a tow zone. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm just going to move my car down the street. And in 75 yards, I got a DUI. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I was moving it the wrong way down a one-way street. Oh, jeez. But it was one of those things. It was like, it, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in the sort of original uh, idea of God, but like I do think there's something in the universe or like an energy or things thing. happen. I for like a to reason. believe things happen for a reason, right. and I think that's probably the thing that saved my life in a weird way, you know. Because at that point, it was like this is a joke. Like 
I I'd been arrested so many times in like three years and like it's not like I was a full-on criminal I did and try to the deal drugs too? briefly but I wasn't good at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah this, that amount of time to like yeah. what are the chances of that happening uh, in such a short period getting busted that many times it was like it felt like the universe was saying like you're done like and at that moment I was ready like I was so miserable um I was kind of on a suicide mission like I would never have actually killed myself but I just was like had succumbed to the fact that like I couldn't face sort of life being sober at that moment and that I was just going to keep doing this until whatever happened happened and was yeah. that the last time you were that's the last time I drank yeah and then did you like after did you go to another rehab that's that? when I went to CRT saw in the place that like really they they individualize the programs there which is really good because they have like different tracks and they sort of they'll do trauma counseling and then they'll do like uh, you know, addiction counseling and mood disorder stuff, and they reevaluate any meds or whatever. And, um, you know, the other thing was they'd put me on a ton of meds as a kid, basically, um, which is such a prep school thing, I think, to right. do. But, like, they finally sort of got it all right and got it figured out. And um, I'm like, wow, I'm not as like crazy as I thought, <laughs> thought I was. Apparently, doing a lot of alcohol and cocaine will make you unstable. That's a crazy, <laughs> a crazy thought. But I mean, the first time I tried cocaine, I didn't know what it was. Like, I skipped the year that they did drug education. I didn't know it was illegal. I didn't know it was like, I like really didn't understand what it was. I was 12. Like, wow. it's crazy yeah. to think that I, now when I meet a 12-year-old, I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's crazy that I was exposed to that at that kind of age. Right. But it at that point, you were, though like hanging out with people who were much who, older who were older always yeah because so I looked older too so people just sort of treated me as such and I didn't ever point out that I was as young you know because when you're yeah. young you want to grow up and then like now I would do anything to be back to being a kid again but yeah you know I was wondering after the last time you went to when you had when they kind of catered towards like what you needed at that at that rehab mm -hmm. center whatever program it was so after that, did you go to like meetings? Oh yeah. Or did you have a sponsor? I had to go into sober living. Like I, I had a certain amount of court ordered requirements, um, but I went into sober living. Like I, I took the whole thing seriously. Cause like I said, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get as much as I can out of it. And um, I was in sober living for four months. I did inpatient for almost two months. Um, so then I had like six months and I came out of it and I moved to LA for sort of a fresh start and was doing some modeling stuff and working for a, a media company. It's sort of when like, gosh, I mean, it was MySpace era. Like, okay. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, gosh, I forget like the exact chronology of everything. I think my mom got sick again and I went out to Wyoming to look after her for a bit and then came back and um but it took me a while to get into into stand-up like I when I realized I wanted to do uh comedy I got like an internship for like this the last half of the last season of Will and Grace where I basically just like hung out in the writer's room and I was like wow this is a job like it was so fun like they'd roll in at like you know 10 
10 a.m. and like read the tabloids and make fun of each other for an hour and a half and then <laughs> break for lunch. <laughs> like, I mean, not to say it's not a lot of work, but when right. I saw was that, did you want to be like a writer on a show? Well, I just, I kind of knew that that was my calling. Like, I also had, I mean, the unfortunate thing about having a famous parent is like, you don't get to make mistakes in private. Like, so everything had come out in the British press and it was oh. like, I literally couldn't get a job anywhere. I couldn't get back into school. Like I was fucked essentially. Like, because you type my name into Google and it's the other unfortunate thing about having a very original name. Uh, Cause Cleese right. isn't a real last name. It's cheese. We changed it. Thank fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheese. Yeah. It cheese. They changed the H to an L. Oh my God. So that's why it's Cleese. Everyone says Cleese, but it's Cleese. Please, and um, it was cheese. Oh, that's my a, grandpa changed it because he was in the army and officer cheese. I think. <laughs> Wait, so that was the original name? Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. That's why there's like no other cleases really. Um, huh. So that's amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's so nuts. Um, but I'm so grateful that I'm not Camilla Chloe cheese. Which <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a delicious like type of cheese, yeah, Camilla cheese. That's my favorite cheese. Well, my. Ex stepmom used to call my dad Jack, and Jack Cheese is a great name for a comic. But <laughs> yeah, or a porn star either. Yeah, yeah. Jack Cheese. <laughs> Spread well, up. Jack Hammer would be a better right. porn star. <laughs> <laughs> is there? A, that should be a porn star name. I'm Jack Hammer. There hasn't yeah, I'm be. sure. Because I had a teacher named Mr. Hammer once. Anyway. Oh, we got Army Hammer. There's already oh, yeah. the actor Army Hammer. And you know the story behind his name. What was that? Well, he's the heir to Arm and Hammer. Oh, right, Arm and right. Hammer, like the baking soda. Oh, yeah. Right. Like Armand, Ar his real name is Armand or A-R-M-A-N-D. So it's literally Arm and Hammer oh is like his name. That's and that's true. the brand. <laughs> that's that's an ego. That's like an ego family where they like, we'll call him. Yeah, that's a definite wasp fest. Yeah. I never even thought it would be someone's name. Right. You know. No, you wouldn't because you, you know, you're like, oh, an arm and a hammer. That's their logo. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, funny. So he so you're um, so you're dealing with that of the fact that now every your whole life is on Google or, you know, right. we Google your name. And it sucked for a while. I mean, I was mo kind of mortified at first, but I started to see it as a blessing in disguise because it held me accountable. It meant like I could never go back to right doing that because everyone knew I couldn't couldn't drink i wasn't good at it <laughs> but, but like in la they're like oh you want to work here come sure. well they're comedy is the one place kinda. where it really doesn't matter yeah. you know like and i i realized like i couldn't really get a job like going straight into a writer's room because um most of those kids you know you have a college degree if you're gonna work in a writer's room and i hadn't finished university but then my dad started writing the wanda adaptation and i've worked on that with him mm -hmm. um and it sort of just things started to kind of fall into place. There were, my mom was sick off and on for a very long time. So I did wind up leaving a number of times, but then I started writing, doing uh, sketch shows and I was in a sketch group with Sarah Tiana. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. And um, I saw her do stand up and that was the first time that it like even occurred to me that that's like something I could do. I think it was weird. Like, up until that point, I hadn't really seen many female comics. And if I had, I think I'd only seen like, like Roseanne or like, you know, kind of caricature -y, like, 
I hate to say caricature, but like it was the first time I saw someone that I, I was friends with that I could relate to that was super funny. And she and had her own voice. She wasn't like Roseanne very, where it's like, hey, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. She was very like normal and cool and someone you want to hang out with. But like she was super funny and dark. Like we mm-hmm. both have a really dark sense of humor and we'd written a bunch of sketches together and we're really close friends. And um, that was when I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then it took me like another year to get the courage up, I think, after that. Where was your first gig? Um, flappers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everyone's story, I think, yeah. is flappers. Well, they were great to me. Like as a new comic, it, mm-hmm. it is a great place. Yeah, I they're mean, supportive to yeah. new comics. And in L.A., it's like the only place is a new comic that, you know, they're going to give you. It's just so hard if you start here. Like right. Right. it's just cutthroat and there's so many comics so all the best comics in the world live here practically because they have TV shows and, you know, you guys know how it is. I mean, it's the scramble for stage time is is pretty brutal. But I wound up, my mom got sick again. This time she was getting treatment in Chicago and had an apartment right by the hospital. So I went back and I was supposed to be there three weeks. It turned into a year and a half. But I, during that time, I mean, if there is a silver lining to her having not been well it was that I got so much stage time because it was the only thing keeping me from jumping out the hospital window it you know it was like was it and I know it sounds crazy for you kind of yeah it was kind of cathartic like Mm -hmm. I I didn't write that much great material but it kept me being like I didn't really have any friends there so I'm like you know otherwise it was like sit at the hospital for six hours and then go sit in an apartment by myself so it was like I'd go do mics and then where, where were you going up and um every all the clubs in there, Chicago yeah like and Zanies and well uh, Zanies not right away because that's a tougher one to get into right. um especially I think back then uh but I did start getting like some guest spots there and I met some headliners from out here that were like um Jimmy Schubert and Steve Byrne oh, like okay. some really great guys that then kind of helped me out and I think we're sort of sympathetic to what I was going through like you know and gave me guest spots and let me do their their shows but I was going up regularly at at least doing guest sets at comedy bar laugh factory uh gosh what else the improv out in Schaumburg or I did that a couple times again like they're a little stricter right uh but you know as I got better I was getting like there there's so much stage time to be right. had and right. so few comics that like Less competition I got to develop to the point where when I came back I was at a place where I could actually book shows and like you know get into clubs and stuff but I, it still took a while but like so you, know you see so flabbers where you started you went out to Chicago for a couple of years and then you came back and here. I came back and then so yeah. a year and a half later she came yeah. back to LA and then I mean, I think I'd done like nine months out here, uh, but a lot of, you know, mics and flappers and bar shows and whatever. Um, And then I got like really threw myself into it when I came back here uh, because when I started doing it, I had like a serious boyfriend and I was sort of on this different trajectory, like I was going to move in with him. And and then when he realized stand up wasn't just like a phase, he was kind of over it. And because someone has to understand, like, you know. It's a the, hard the job. Has to understand yeah. that it's yeah, it's it takes your time. Like 
it's right. well yeah and if you're dating someone that works in an office like that's it's been the pitfall of many of my relationships like at first they're like oh you're a comic that's so cool and it's novel and new and then the reality sets and they're like oh this is not it's cool. like <laughs> oh yeah she's out at a club with a bunch of dudes every night and like going on the road with dudes and well, and it's it not like they're Calvin Klein underwear models, generally right. speaking, right. unfortunately. <laughs> but like, right. it takes a secure man. To yeah, and, and the work, our work hours, is everyone else's play hours. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like our so schedules you, are complete. You opposites. sacrifice. I don't think people realize how much you sacrifice if you. I mean, it, you've got to really love stand up because otherwise, like, like you really do sacrifice your entire personal life like, right yeah, you miss weddings you miss sometimes parties. friends don't oh. understand you know like no i, oh, I, I want to go but if a gig comes up i'm not going to be there right mm-hmm. especially if it's like oh i just got booked at this new club for the first time or like new to me like you're you can't pass that opportunity up and like people aren't very sympathetic to that so you miss a lot of yeah weddings and Look, I don't like going to weddings anymore. Like, <laughs> <be real>. So <laughs> you save a right. lot of money by not going. But uh, it, like, I became pretty distant, and I still my best friends get it, you know. Right. And like, they, they're still great when I see them, but I barely get to see them, which stinks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them live in Santa Barbara and stuff anyway. But when you started doing comedy more and more, did it did it kind of remind you of how you loved riding horses and that? It was great to have something. There? passionate about I think it's tough because like emotionally it's a challenging thing to do like it really when you break it down and you think about the fact that like we choose to go and get judged by a room full of strangers every night like Mm -hmm. that's fucking weird like who would do that you know (laughs) like it's it's and when it goes well you guys know like it's the best feeling on earth but like when it goes badly it's horrible like it's so humbling but that's part of what i love is like the the challenge of it like it's it's so every night is different and like you can be in the same room and do the same set two shows in a row and the first one you crush and the second one is like crickets and you're like what the fuck how did i stop being funny in a half hour like (laughs) what happened how do you deal with that like i've talked to tom about this i have a hard time sometimes if a show doesn't go well i'm better about it now than i used to be yeah but i used to be very obsessive over i i am too i'm super hard on myself and i think ultimately i think that makes you a better comic because you you work harder and like but like the confidence thing my confidence on stage is tenuous like you know if I have a couple bad sets like it's hard to keep recovering and just being like oh maybe it wasn't your fault because it really is your like you can't blame the audience like unless you're at the comedy store and then apparently that's that's like you can yell at them for not laughing enough but generally speaking not a good idea Um, but sometimes it is like when I was in I was in Reno all week and it's like you're doing these sort of casino crowds that are kind of like, well, we'll go in here and we won't lose money. Yeah. And sometimes it is like waking them up and be like, this is it. Like, this is the show we started. Like, right. It sometimes it is like, like I, I, I did say something because I did a joke that I know does really well and it got nothing. And I was yeah. like, Hey guys, like I was just like, I just sort of called it out and it sort of like reset the room and then from then There's on it a, went well. There's a way to do it tactfully if, if right. you know what you're doing. Like someone who's as funny and as experienced as you are, but like 
it does bother me when I see like young comic or like new right. comics like yeah, that's fucking like, funny. That yeah. joke always gets a laugh, and I'm like, right. oh god. You're like, like, where did your confidence come from? I envy <laughs> that a little bit, but it's funny. My dad oblivious. and I talk a lot about there. There's a psychologist who did all this research. Um, this guy David Dunning, and I forget his partner's name, but like, it's actually fascinating. It's like they tested people in four different subjects and I think one of them was humor and then they after they tested them asked them to rank themselves where they thought they fell percentage wise like within like how good they thought they were basically mm-hmm. or how well they performed on the test and it I forget the exact numbers but it was like the top 10% all thought that they fell around like the 60 to 70th percentile and like the bottom 30% all thought that they were around the 60 to 70th percentile. And it just goes to show like basically what he was saying is that in order to know whether you're any good at something, you have to be good at it in the first place, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, and in part that's a good thing because like when I first started stand up I think I thought I was better than I do now like cuz I just didn't right. know how much I didn't know right, right. <laughs> right. that makes sense um, but you sort of become incrementally better as cuz you yeah. go from nothing to like wow yeah. that went really good like the the learning curve at first you go like way up and then there's a lot of plateaus and right, right. And that's what I always try we, to tell staff is that, that a lot. It's never a downturn. It's always just a plateau and you're plateauing and then you hit another upturn and it's just like you just got to like ride that. But I always have that question. Do you think you get to a point where you're like, this is as good as I'll be or do you always think or is it something over time you're just going to get better and better at? I think it depends if you're doing like there's which book was it that I read? Uh. Because I've read a lot of, like, Malcolm Gladwell. I love his books. And, like, um, there's a guy, his last name is Syed, and we're, like, Twitter buddies, and he sent me his book, which is sort of, like, elaborating on the book Outliers that Malcolm Gladwell wrote. But it's, like, the difference between, like, practicing something and, like, I forget what he calls it technically, but, like, actively practicing, like, paying attention to what you did wrong and, like, figuring out ways to make it better because like you could go on set and do the same jokes and not write and not work at it and like you're probably not going to get any better but if you're like listening to your sets and evaluating and and that kind of thing and putting yourself in different rooms like because if you do the same club every night you're going to learn that room right um and like traveling doing different locations because like doing as, something that like makes you feel the midwest was too. a shock at first you know yeah. or not not like chicago but like when you do like more rural parts like what you can get away with versus right even like know, reno yeah yeah, yeah we talked reno's about doing a great reno. example it's like, like it's very different um because i have a very dark sense of humor and i like more subtle jokes generally and more cerebral stuff and a lot of places in the country that does not go that well and it's always like are you going to cater to where you are or are you going to be true to like what you want to do and my and my problem is balance. i i generally am like fuck it i'm going to do what i want to do right. Um, right but that makes you a better comic in the long run too. i i think so i mean i've always thought that in order to be really successful in what we do like you have to have kind of people have to have like polarized opinions of you like if everyone just kind of likes you that's not going to propel you to being great but right. like if 
you need people that love you and then some people that hate you and that'll help. Does well, that make sense? That's what, kind of, that's like, what Mark Maron said. Is like oh, if, really? if I have like when he was starting to get more popular, he's like if twenty percent of the audience is there to see me, it'll go well. If it's less, yeah, then they won't because they don't get him. There's just this guy ranting on stage. And they right. don't really get why is he yelling at me. Yeah, and it's like. So you need that sort of base to kind of help with the rest of the audience. Like, oh, yeah. okay. Or I try to make note of like who's who's liking what I'm doing. Right. Like it's usually women probably around my age or older, like moms. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's you know what I mean. And trying to figure out how to brand right yourself. Right. Um. Well, definitely that, and like, I don't know. I. It was funny because I used to be afraid of the women in the audience more than anything. I think because. You get it. Like, they don't expect to see a girl there a lot of times or, like, a girl that looks like a girl, too. Like, (laughs) you know, you you walk on stage and you see a lot of arms crossed. Like, because people, especially outside of L.A., they're there on dates. Yeah, couples. They don't want to see, like, another girl now has their guy's attention. So in order to, like, that was a a learning curve to realize that being, like, self-deprecating and kind of winning them over. Mm -hmm. Um really is helpful in in that regard like i'll make fun of my height or whatever because once you get them on your side then everyone relaxes and like because if the girls aren't laughing the guys that they're with aren't laughing either you know it's like uh it's a funny thing and also though i think why like i try to dress and like comedy is the one thing where I think the worse you look, the better you do. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I stop wearing makeup. I'm I, just like, yeah. Yeah. Just like eh, this is what it is. Maybe I'll wear a little makeup, but it's like I wear jeans and a t-shirt and like a because I'm lazy, but b because it just it's better to be a blank slate so they're not like evaluating what you're wearing or like stuff like that right. um i mean on youtube they still do like <laughs> oh don't read the comments oh never oh my God, never read the so comments brutal. oh so yeah. brutal i don't have comments so yeah you don't want at em. least you guys yeah. do well no. no i mean the first <laughs> no. time that i i remember i've learned now not to read them but like the laugh factory posted a clip of mine and it kind of went like got all these views it was the first time my stand-up had had a lot of views and i was like i wonder what people are because my (laughs) comedy nothing apparently because all the comments were like like i shit you not like 50 percent were about my eyebrows oh my god like people hate my eyebrows and i'm like who has time for that like yeah there is a difference of of comments from male comic comics to women of just it's just Especially on that channel for some reason. I think they have someone monitoring it now, which, thank God, I mean, they didn't when mine came out, so they're still, like... The the comments were so brutal, and it was all about my looks. It was like, she looks like Willem Dafoe at the end of Boondock Saints, which is like... (laughs) That's so random. Like, people are so mean. It's unreal. Like, but... Yeah, but it's. I've also found that a lot of the reason why people troll is to get your attention so like, i remember i responded to somebody's post that was negative and they're like oh no man i mean i thought you were really funny i just uh it's so cool that you responded you know it's yeah. like it's like there's a better way to do this like you could be complimentary you could send a nice email like you right. don't have to like sh- say the shittiest thing and then like i hope this gets his attention and I, I think sometimes that's what trolls do oh, is they're desperate 100%. for attention. And I learned quickly, like, I've never responded. No, for it's a women, it's dangerous. Hard. Like, yeah. sometimes you yeah. really want to. But what you'll find, too, like, 
the worst trolls that I I had a hate campaign against me for a while, which was Whew. it's hilarious. Wow. Well, but it's like so. I too. used to do this bit, and look, I would precede it by doing like a good five minutes of making fun of my own height. But then I'd say like um, I don't date guys under five foot eight because they're responsible for most of the misery in the world. Um, <laughs> and I'd be like, you know, look at history, like all the dictators it proves this point like right. napoleon hitler genghis khan stalin tom cruise <laughs> justin bieber <laughs> oscar pistorius i don't know if you remember yeah, that yeah, guy like guy never killed legs. anyone till he was under five foot eight which <laughs> is like that's a great line right. that's the whole reason i did the bit like right for those of you who don't remember it's a such an old reference now but like he he was had the blade his legs runner amputated yeah. and then he shot his girlfriend uh he was the blade runner guy yeah like well now you, you have a uh, bagel boy or bagel guy and he's gonna Do you fight. know how many people send me that clip that uh, you, that? you know he's he want he's boxing he's gonna box this former baseball player but you should challenge him to a boxing match the bagel guy you know what's hilarious <laughs> is i wanted to do a video with like I think it was Nick Novicki who oh, yeah. he's a little, little person. person yeah. He's tiny. And uh, I wanted it to be me like antagonizing him and like pushing him. And then he like winds up to hit me and you pause it and put the caption. Would this be the one time it's okay for a man to hit a woman? Cause I'm, <laughs> I, I'm literally twice his height. Like right. I'm so much <laughs> bigger than him. Um, but this group online uh, support for the short, Org.isnapoleon.complex oh <laughs> is already taken. But, <laughs> the but they, it was the first year I went to Edinburgh and I was getting a lot of press because of my dad. And like every article that came out, there was like the first comment was like this rant calling me a whore and a bigot and a heightist, which is a hilarious. <laughs> and threatening to sue me. And like it was so hard to not respond because. The reality is, do I do I really think that? Fuck, no, I don't. Like, s one of my best friends is a really, really short guy, and he thinks that bit is hilarious because the reality is, most people historically were under five foot eight because they were shorter back then. Like, right. it's you know, the only reason I did it was the Oscar Pistorius line because that was fucking hilarious to me. Right. Uh, and I stopped doing the bit at that point, but then I started again because I'm like, oh, really? Like, you're upset about? Okay, double down. Let's do this. Right, yeah. Right. But threatening to sue me and like it was so hard to not respond. But then all these strangers started coming to me and like writing to them like, be a big boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that was almost more satisfying to have like these having other people, people defend like it. arguing, yeah. right. like saying, look, she's she's teasing affectionately. There's a big difference between like s like meaning it like I, it's common and who are you defending you're defending napoleon hitler yeah. and oscar pistorius these three people that did horrible, horrible things horrible things and well and there's a lot more i mean there's kim jong-un there's mussolini general franco like i yeah. could list way more i just like don't right. want it to be a five-hour bit so <laughs> um, dick cheney that's funny you should add that uh yeah. <laughs> i mean the list it actually we wrote the bit originally for a show my dad and i did and Oscar Pistorius wasn't part of it then because it was before that happened. It was for the New Zealand show um, where we would pull up the, the dictator and then say his height and say how many people he killed. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Tom Cruise was like the big punchline back then. Right. But I just sort of like elaborated <laughs> on it. Um, 
but we had a whole list of like 25 dictators or something it was crazy i was gonna ask too what did your dad think so so now that you're you got into your comedy career at what point did you tell your dad and what did your dad think um i think he was supportive of me doing stand-up just because it was something that he i mean part of the reason i did it and stuck with it was i wanted to establish myself as like a separate entity which mm-hmm. it didn't really work but <laughs> i mean it does to some degree but there's always going to be those people that are like oh she just got that because of her dad you know and i've just come to accept that because not everyone understands that stand-up isn't something you can become an overnight success it's not like they can just say oh it's john cleese's daughter let's give her a special and i could actually like make it through even if other people were writing it for me i still couldn't do that you right know? Um, but do you find i mean i think like we performed at this movie theater in simi valley together i think he, Jason's he, show? Yeah, yeah he did introduce you i think as john cleese's yeah but but in general people don't realize it right i mean no not in this country i mean in the uk it's a very different and it's more intimidating for me i feel like i don't know how much is just pressure i put on myself but like if they introduce me as that, I feel the turn in the room. It's like it changes to judgment. Like the comedy store, they used to haze me all the time and they'd yeah. introduce me as John Cleese's daughter, like without even my name. And like <laughs> immediately the room is like now judgy. And I mean, they weren't ready to laugh anyway because it's like a chick coming on stage. <laughs> and now it's like extra. Right. But I think in some ways it made me a better comic because you just learn to deal with part of becoming a good comic I think is just learning to deal with every possible situation that you could be thrown into like and I've had some weird uh, you guys too I'm sure I mean it's crazy sometimes what they'll throw you like here's a microphone they're they're not even going to introduce you and tell the people there's stand-up comedy happening and like suddenly you just have to do comedy for a room full of people at a bar that came to the bar to hang out with their friends and didn't know there was a comedy show and like like There's stuff like that. Right? Even the You're TVs like, are on. Right. Like hostage audience, yeah. Like, um, do you find that, were you like, is this ever going to end where I'm introduced as John Cleese's daughter? Apparently or no. <laughs> but, um, or have you just been like, whatever, it is what it is? I mean, it depends who's doing it. If I know that it's being done in a catty way, I'll just let it go and I'll... I'll try to fight through it and do the best I can and and sort of triumph and by doing that. But like, if it's a friend of mine that does it without thinking, I'll be like, hey, you know, in the future, do you mind if like? Because like I compare it to, and sometimes it hurts my feelings. Sometimes I don't care. It just just depends on what I'm feeling. But I'll be treated as I'm not a comic when I'm with Tom. Like I'm I get the wife. that, yeah. And it gets to the point where I get really frustrated and it hurts my feelings or it's just like, when is this going to end? Yeah. So I'm wondering if it's like the same thing for you. Like, Definitely. I mean, there's that, I, I forgot, I wasn't thinking about that. Like, I'm sure you can empathize on a lot of those levels. Like you feel like, oh, maybe I'm just here because of him or like, you know, how do you get out of that shadow? And I'm, I, I feel more and more so that I've established, like, I think it's more winning the respect of, like, the other comics. And I feel like once they've seen me on stage that now I've, like, proved myself enough because I've done it and I I usually do pretty well. But, like, it's usually just people that don't know me or, like, and I'm sure the same with you because once they see you and they see that you're legit, like, they're and you're funny. Like, right, right. You know, then it's like, oh, we get it. But, like that initial before they have seen you a lot of people are just like oh you're just here because you're so-and-so or whatever right, um, right. 
and that's a shitty feeling like but you have to trust your ability and the fact that you've put in the time to get better and unfortunately like the youtube commenters you're not going to change their opinion their opinion is what it is yeah probably miserable people well i think they're just looking for an outlet for misdirected anger right exactly the level of hatred i'll get i i've been told i should just kill myself like what for doing trying stand-up like right i mean personally i can't even bring myself to thumbs down a video and like oh yeah i yeah who who are those people yeah it's like john lennon's imagine has like 600 thumbs down it's like who are these 600 people who gave you know like you didn't like imagine okay yeah Yeah, like what are you upset about (laughs) like it's just i will not imagine (laughs) (laughs) like i hate being imaginative it ruins everything right it's yeah it's uh it's not worth your time to get to focus but it is it's hard emotionally because it's like sometimes you feel like all you're getting is like negative feedback you know you just right if you're hard on yourself anyway like i am that's why my confidence struggles like i envy there's some comics who aren't even that funny that are so confident and i'm like how is that but like like i was saying before that research by those psychologists like i feel like they're it's a good example of that it's like they don't know that they're not that funny <laughs> like they're right. and that's where the confidence comes from is like right. not being able to effectively self-evaluate and sometimes i envy like being delusional like i would love to <laughs> just walk up there and be like i am the shit and like you know because if you're confident enough too it's a funny thing and stand up like you can get people on board same right. with running for president right. apparently like, exactly <laughs> it's like if you're too stupid to know that you're stupid like you can get people to really rally behind you like right it's sort of that lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, but but it but it, it gets you to a certain point. I mean, now it gets you to president. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, you, you just have to know, you have to be secure in yourself and know, like, look, I put in the work, I work hard, and these other opinions, I just always tell Steph, like, these people aren't, don't like themselves. That's why they lash out yeah. at, oh, totally. at you online or whatever. It's like, well, what are they doing with their lives? You can't. You can't worry about it. You have to trust that you're... No, I mean, no, but I meant before. You know, one time we were in, we were at a gig and a comic, and sometimes it's comics. A comic pat me on the head, like, so condescending. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty ridiculous. But, like, it's already hard enough to be a comedian, and then we're women, and then we're, we have, like, an, you know, I'm your wife, right. or you're John Cleese's daughter. So it's so many things. Well, th- th- we just watched, get, it's funny. Know. We would just watch Dane Cook's uh, tourgasm. That's where we're at on we're HBO. We're 15 years behind. <laughs> oh my God. But, but one How thing, was it? Cause I, it was, I mean, I saw it as a teenager before I did comedy and I, I thought it was really funny, but I don't even remember what was in it. Like, it's, I mean, as it. far as like the, the jokes, the, the, the layout is kind of corny. It's very like, Oh yeah, that's 2004, 2005. But as far as what Dane Cook did of taking Robert Kelly, who he started off with an improv group like you and Sarah, started in an improv yeah. group with him when he was 18, 19 years old. He, Robert Kelly brought him in and then met Gary Goleman a couple of years in and brought Gary Goleman in. And then Jay Davis was running the, uh, the Dublins. Dublins. Oh yeah. And put Dane up there and kind of gave him this big platform so Dane took it upon himself I got, he got big and put these three guys on his show like that was loyalty that was like yeah. hey these guys you know they can't do anything for my career but I'm gonna repay the favor that they did for me of making me a better comic right and I just 
it really changed in my opinion of him as far i mean i never really had a strong opinion either way but it made me realize like wow this is a loyal guy who really uh paid it forward well, i think like, he was at least yeah I, I, I mean i got the impression he's burned a lot of bridges since then but but i always love that is one of the things about stand-up i think on the whole like people it's like a big dysfunctional family and like a lot of the comics do pull their friends along with them when they like Chelsea Handler I think did that hugely like she made a lot that of that panel careers, show yeah like yeah. with her show and um you know I've had some some comics have been amazing to me like even before I was ready like have helped me develop and take like me Jimmy to and do, Steve yeah Byrne, like yeah. you know and like not you know there's always that thing when you're a girl and you go on the road with a guy like you always are a little bit concerned like what's the intention is but like in the least creepy way possible like they're they're not they don't want anything from me they're just like we think you're funny and we want to help you get better and like succeed and that's really cool like that's it you know gives me hope and it's like I hope one day I'm in the position where I'm able to help people too because it it is like not everyone thinks that way no but you're a good person and you're you're very genuine and and try it it's hard though I think female comics especially are very cutthroat and like I've had a lot of bad experiences too where you you try to help someone and then it backfires or whatever like because a lot of the females I think seem to think there's only room for like a couple of us to succeed and it's a little more like I don't know some of them are great don't get me wrong like, right obviously awesome and like but I've had to be a little bit more careful I think with yeah. them. Yeah. So, or um. I can I I can see it happening for both guys. Yeah. And, you know, you just get um I try to listen to my intuition. Yeah. But it's sometimes we've have felt like you know, sometimes we're I'm afraid to talk to certain comics cuz I don't want to be rejected or just you know, I don't want anyone to make me feel like shit. Yeah. I don't know. That's well, I've had some really, especially lately, I don't know why, but like, I might have told you guys that story about getting reamed by that one headliner, like, um, who I don't even think heard my set, but like, seemed to just want to put me in my place. But like, it was a very weird kind of disorganized show. And I thought I was doing a 10 minute guest set to sort of audition for these bookers because I'd never worked for them before. And uh, all the other comics were late and he I thought the booker was hosting and he instead was like oh well you just go up and like I I was like he's like just do some time and then bring me up and I was like all right how long do you want me to do he's like I'll just light you so I assumed I was doing like a five to ten minute cold open 24 25 minutes in they light me right so it's like it's a weird feeling because when you don't know how long you're doing you're like do you want to normally open with your second strongest, close with your strongest. Right. Like, right. You're like just doing shit in no particular order and just looking for a light, like <laughs> keeping right. going. And they're still seating people and taking drink orders. And like this one headliner had shown up before I went on, but uh, it was sitting in the green room with the door ajar. So I don't even know if he could have heard my set, but by the time I walked back into the green room, um, he a couple of the other comics I knew some headliners you guys know too were there and like right. he literally as I walked in he's like you don't know how to tell a joke you don't know what the fuck you're doing and I was like Jeez. Uh, yeah. okay sorry like <laughs> yeah C could you even name one of my jokes like 
and continued down this path in front of these other people and I was kind of mortified but like I try to be respectful of headliners I don't really know the guy ironically maybe a month ago I was on a show with him and I had a great set and he saw and he came up and was like you crushed afterwards so I'm like yeah but but it's one of those things like I couldn't really defend myself and he's like I'll teach you I'll show you how to get better like here's my number and I'm like I mean, I just took it and I went home because I was over it. But like, it's yeah. It, other other really comics, nasty. other comics need nice. to call that stuff out. Like, I, you know, as comics, we sh- we need to start calling out that behavior of of people being assholes. Because you even like even like if they say it and like nobody's present or they say it behind somebody's back, like we right. need just to start calling that and, out. And you know, it's, it's insecurity again. But yeah. it, it's it's just like a form of. It's of just if you see something, say something. If someone's being bullied, then it's I was a little bummed that no one like defended me. But I think right. it was also like this particular guy. I think it drinks very heavily, and I think people just are like, it doesn't like don't bother engaging. Right. And right. If I tell you who was in the room, you'll get like they're not. No, I remember assertive. the story. Yeah, yeah I sorry. I couldn't remember well, if it, I told you guys. And that's that. sort of the problem is comedians want to be likable. and Yeah, and that they, sort of like thing. no one wants to get involved generally. Right. Like they don't want conflict because you always have to worry about burning bridges. But with this one particular guy, like it, it didn't bother me too much because I know his reputation. But at the same time, it's like things like that really hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and especially if your confidence is like a little tenuous. And I hadn't even had like a bad set. It wasn't great, but like it was very less than ideal circumstances. Right. Like, but you have to know. I mean, I'll say this and Steph would agree is that you're great. Like you oh, don't doubt you. yourself. Like, cause it's like, you're, you're really funny. You've built your act over the course of 10 years. You know, you've gone through this Six, other. Yeah. <laughs> well, I started as a writer though, which right. definitely but helped to me. Lot, like you're the whole package of being responsible, reliable, committing like you work Ooh, so thank much you. And, you and keep going yeah <laughs> and don't i think that's the number one thing that can really hurt your so like i'm not saying like don't criticize yourself but believe in yourself and realize right. all the good things that you have done and i think that's something comedians don't do it's like well i gotta keep pushing myself pushing my and it's yeah. like that doesn't help you if you don't celebrate your accomplishments and look also look back on your accomplishments like wow i did that you know yeah. i did this because um I, I try to do that. I try to celebrate what I accomplish because right. if you don't, yeah, this can be it like, can feel very then, draining. You, then you feel like, well, once I get this thing, once I get on Conan or once I get right. Netflix, then I'll be happy. And it's like, yeah, and but that's it, not but how it's it works. Never the case. Not, it's all about your mindset. And I really right. appreciate that. Cause like, obviously I have tons of respect for you guys. And like, it means a lot to, I think getting that kind of feedback from other, like from colleagues or people that you look up to, like it, obviously means a lot more than like killing at a show because it's like half we the time audience comics. members don't know anything about stand-up so like they're <laughs> laughing at stuff that like you know they'll laugh at stock jokes that you hear like every comedian use right. you know stuff like little cheating lines and right. stuff like that where you're well, just i just like, saw a guy on uh bring the funny who did like eight stock jokes and like Chrissy Teigen actually said like oh I think I've seen those on the internet but it was really funny and I was like no he took that off the internet like yeah. that is a disqualification why are you saying it's cool what's that but right like why are you saying it's cool right right it's like well I I know well part of the thing it's funny I know this uh, this the fact that she's even a judge on that show just right. is like it's just sick to me because it's like 
oh, what experience do you have that qualifies you to be judging stand-up comedians? Right. And like I saw, um, you, do you know Karen Rontowski? Mm-hmm. So Karen, she's great. She's awesome. She posted about that. It's like, so you're going to have a woman, but it's not even a comedian. Oh, So I, you're not right. saying they're equal in this scenario. Yeah, you know what I mean? like, like she was critiquing Graham Kay's performance. Like she didn't like, and he's a great comic. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it like really... I think the first time and look it's nothing against her personally like I guess she's funny on Twitter I don't know I don't care but like (laughs) a couple years ago I was at the gym and I was on the elliptical reading this article I think it was Marie Claire had published like the top 40 women working in like top 40 women comedians or something and it was like Amy Schumer and you know uh, Eliza and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Chrissy Teigen and I jumped off the machine I was so lit I'm like working in comedy like I'm sorry did I miss something like I'm pretty sure she's not a comic that's like saying the top 40 supermodels and just having like the prettiest comedian being on that list like it doesn't yeah. It makes no it sense. It makes no it's sense. And it's like her, she must have a great publicist or something. I don't fucking know. But like, and again, it's not really against her personally because look, if you offer someone the job, like, why wouldn't you take it? But like, when she's sitting there next to a guy that's been on SNL for however many years and Foxworthy, who's been at it for years, like, what expertise does she have to offer? Like, right. that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should, uh, I know this is a. Uh, this has been our most epic episode. Uh, yeah, it was uh, really. Yeah, we usually oh, don't yeah. talk Thank to people. Thank you. For, well, people I always enjoy long. chatting with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just kind of talked. What's uh, what do you got on the horizon? I, do you want to? Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything to. When are we gonna be releasing this one? Uh, I don't. Probably maybe towards September, early oh. September. <laughs> and it is September. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean we're recording live basically. Right. Yeah, this live. is airing live. This is um, Facebook live. Facebook we didn't tell you, but we put a live little nanny cam right, right. by the TV. Um, what 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 do you got? Um, what's your website? Uh, don't look at my website because someone built it for me and then like disappeared and I don't know how to <laughs> log in and change anything because it's WordPress. So okay. it's from like 2015. But if you look like and it looks like current dates, so I'm sure people have like shown up at the parlor, but being like, where's Camilla? <laughs> where's the comedy They're still show? waiting There's for you. Like, yeah. Um, but uh, I actually off the top of my head. Gosh. I'm doing the Big Pine Comedy Festival. I think that's in September. That's in Arizona, Arizona maybe? <laughs> yeah, I think it <laughs> is. should probably check on yeah, this thing. I'd Google that. Uh, Big Pine's like, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's like mid-September. And then um, I'll be... Oh, no, that's in August. Yeah, so just... What about Twitter? What's I'm, your- I'm on Twitter, Facebook, everything, just at my name, which is Camilla Cleese, C-A-M-I-L-L-A. C L E E S E like cheese with an L. There we go. <laughs> Which we learned today. I feel like that's a big revelation that yeah. John Cheese. I know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Big cheese. <laughs> and can we can we mention the the pos- the possible comedy club in Santa Barbara? Oh yeah. yeah, that's um that has been announced and something we're slowly working towards. But my dad wanted to open a comedy club in Santa Barbara. And uh, actually, the reason that we all met, Andre Belikov, who runs great shows up there, is going to kind of spearhead that because the comedy he's got a great brand and a club up there. He just didn't have a permanent venue. Um, 
so we're gonna set that up and will it be called comedy hideaway or yeah I'm not sure I think so I mean my dad's will be very much attached to it uh but his brand works I mean he's got a great following and like fills the rooms even with not huge names um so you know we think it's a great marriage of of those two things because my dad has his own demo there too but like um, it's such a good I mean Andre has been doing it up there for so long oh, and yeah. he does such a good job right. especially under the circumstances the way he manages to transform these like side rooms and restaurants into a comedy club for yeah. the night it's so incredible I've if, known if you're Andre, ever in Santa yeah. Barbara you should check out comedy hideaway seriously yeah. it's his rooms from the get-go have been like probably my favorite to work just because it's great crowds and he knows how to run a show because he's a comic he's a and, very funny and guy he, and, right and he studied it like I met Andre when he was in college and he was working for this woman Louise Palanker who was running shows at these restaurants and he was <coughs> doing stand-up plus learning the business side of it so he really does know his stuff he's a super smart guy very and helpful thoughtful. too like any yeah. questions I have like he's so he's so insightful and, and we've become very advice. good friends doing this and I think I'm excited because I know it's been kind of a dream I think for him to have like a a permanent venue and now he has his daughter and like doesn't Mm want to be on the road as much I think it's it's a great thing it's so good Santa Santa Barbara needs a club yeah well that's part of the reason I mean I don't think my dad's going into it thinking it's a huge money-making thing but like he wants a club I think so he can run whatever he wants Uh, but also like Santa Barbara needs comedy right now more than ever, probably after all the disasters they've endured lately too. But like, it's crazy. They don't have a permanent venue there because there's such a audience built in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Camilla, for joining us. Um, It was great to see you guys. Yes. You get a free t-shirt out of this too. I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, check out, uh, does it say I'm a rescue? It It does say I'm a rescue. Oh, I love it. Check out our uh, check us out. Please leave us a review on uh, iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. That helps us get our but podcast. a nice review. A nice review. Don't be a or jerk. don't review. Yeah, or yeah. don't review <laughs> it at all. Really. We like short people, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Feel free to and, write mean comments on my YouTube yeah. videos. They're already <laughs> enough of them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And find Steph on Instagram at, at Steph Clark Comedy and at Funny Girl Events. You can find me at, at Tom Clark Comedy. And uh, thank you so much. I'm so lucky you don't have to spell your name <laughs> yes <laughs> it's very simple thank you guys we'll see you next time yeah.